today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. The future of civic innovation in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is publishing its much-anticipated review of cybersecurity readiness at K-12 school districts. The report acknowledges that while many schools face staffing challenges, there are opportunities to improve cybersecurity risk management. The report puts the onus on school administrators to hire cybersecurity personnel to help solve for this problem. Phoenix is building out its wireless infrastructure ahead of this year's Super Bowl. The city, along with vendors, have made major upgrades to its 5G network, which will provide service for the event and its massive security operation. Mayor Kate Gallego says the city has about 50 employees who have been meeting regularly with other participating governments ahead of the game. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem is barring state agencies from conducting any business with technology and telecommunications companies tied to what she deemed, quote, evil foreign governments. The executive order targets companies based in China, Iran, North Korea, Russia, Cuba, and Venezuela, and builds on the governor's previous order, banning TikTok from state devices. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Louisville, Kentucky has a new mayor after 12 years. Mayor Craig Greenberg took office on January 2nd, taking over for Greg Fisher. Greenberg was previously the CEO of the 21C Museum Hotel chain. Now, as Greenberg gets up to speed, he takes the helm of a city known for its civic innovation efforts. Grace Simrall is the city's chief of civic innovation. She tells me about the mayoral transition and what's next. It's so interesting because Mayor Greg Fisher had been mayor for 12 years um, that we have this new experience of uh, a mayoral transition. It doesn't happen very often. Um, It's been interesting because we've tried our very best to help prepare uh, both the mayor and his transition team prior to uh, his inauguration, Mayor Craig Greenberg, um, that entailed, again, developing uh, briefing materials, everything from organizational charts to budgets and uh, key initiatives, but it's, um, I think what's so interesting about the experience is that, uh, you know, you can't, you can't have had prior experience being a mayor to become a mayor, right? Oftentimes mayors are mayors of their hometown. And so that means that thanks to term limits, usually you've never been mayor before. And so learning to um, learn Mayor Greenberg's language and how, how he, again, um, what terminology is familiar to him, uh, especially his background coming from, uh, you know, he had f- prior to all of this been CEO of a, of a chain of hotels called the 21C Hotels. Um, so he obviously comes from uh, an experience as an executive leader focused on customer service. I think that's incredibly important having that perspective coming into local government. He's going to be thinking about how both his employees are customers of his, as well as the community at large. And, um, and so it's useful that innovation has always had that lens that we are in a customer service role. We want to make sure we are delivering the best experience and best service delivery to our customers. Um, so it's been easy to, to translate that for him um, so that he understands the role that we can play in helping him achieve that vision. 
when we talk about things like stimulus money, whether it's from ARPA or, or many of the other programs that are funneling dollars from the federal government into state and local government coffers, uh, you know, what, what does that mean for you? What are you, what's top of mind for you as you approach those dollars? What projects does, does that bring for you? Uh, and sort of how is that impacting your approach to your job? Yeah, that, again, what an interesting time to be working for government, right? We have access to historic amounts of money, either through formula funds or through competitive grants. Um, everything from previously this CARES Act funding to then the American Rescue Plan Act dollars, um, bipartisan infrastructure law dollars, Inflation Reduction Act dollars, CHIPS Act, which is something new uh, since the last time we spoke. And um, I think that, again, back to how important it is to have those working in, in public service and in, in government who are familiar with these programs, um, understand the eligibility requirements, understand, in fact, which ones, especially the competitive ones, um, you have the best chances to, to win are, um, because you, you can't chase every single grant, right? First of all, um, you don't have the resources to do that, to write all of the grant applications. Second, you don't have local matching dollars, because most of these require local matches, um, to uh, you know, apply to every single one. So understanding competitively, you know, where you have the most advantage. Um, for us in innovation, it aligns with a lot of the work that we've been doing for a long time. So everything from digital inclusion, so the grants that are coming out of uh, the NTIA, um, BEAD and DEA in particular, really interesting that, uh, you know, our, the Commonwealth of Kentucky has received their planning grant dollars from the Internet for All program, which means that they will, at this point, be able to engage with local communities about um, how we'd like to see the five-year plan for the Commonwealth of Kentucky um, look. So, you know, those dollars are very interesting to us. We just applied for the DOT SMART grant application. It's going to be a two-phased approach where the first grant is a planning grant, the second one is the large implementation grant. Um, we get really excited about how we've framed looking at smart city applications to make streets street safer in an equitable fashion, um, whether it's from uh, flooding of viaducts to, uh, you know, against safer intersections because of traffic signals. So these are things that we, we know that we are poised to take advantage of. Um, and oftentimes it, it has been a but for the money. So here we are, we have opportunities to to deploy these these funds, these historic funds, in ways that are transformational for our communities. The last time that we talked, we talked about the the city council sort of codifying the uh, the open data portal that that you've pioneered for most of your your time in Louisville. Um, you know what, with that done, what does that mean now for the the portal? What's next? What are what's on the plate uh, when you look at open data? Well, I think uh, again back to the 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 promise and potential of what was um, in our open data, we knew that it would be useful um, for our residents to have access. Again, uh, Mayor Craig Greenberg is committed to transparency and this, uh, again, open data ordinance and portal helps us uh, you know, ensure that from a data perspective, we can continue to be open and transparent, uh, especially if the data is just not sensitive or protected. So there's that aspect of it, but we, we also know it's gonna be incredibly important for us to reimagine service delivery. So our agencies use the open data portal as much as our, our residents and private industry to understand what's happening in other agencies. And so instead of having to ask a colleague in another agency, hey, I, I'm looking for this data, could you help me get it? They could just self-service go to the portal and they do 
access it and use it to help again pair with their data um, to make better decisions. And I think that's really interesting. Um, I know that our enterprise data team is eager to take again that work to the next level. We're participating in International Open Data Day in March. And so we're really excited about um, opening back up to the community in person. We've held some uh, design jams and hackathons in the past two and a half years virtually. It just There's nothing like an in-person gathering. And so we're really looking forward to doing this in March and being able to get the community involved and looking at uh, realizing more of the potential of our open data portal. I want to follow up on that that point, sort of uh, that collaborative element of civic innovation. We talk about funding, we talk about projects, we talk about all of these different things. In this moment, how essential is that collaborative element of civic innovation? What does that what does that mean for how you're taking on projects, how you're thinking about the work you're doing? How are you incorporating that collaborative element, not just with with you know other cities as we've talked about in the past with smart cities events and such, uh, but specifically with your community in Louisville. Well, and I think that's why, again, innovation is so um, interesting and important for local government, because it is about designing with, not for, right? <laughs> so if we're talking about how we would like to improve services for residents, again, we absolutely need their input. Uh, there's nothing like having a diverse set of lived experiences being shared with you for you to collectively figure out um, how to improve things. Now, I will say, I think it's a, and you see this in Chai Hack Night, you need both. You need the community just as much as you need the subject matter experts in local government. And what I mean by that is oftentimes the community just doesn't know about certain barriers or constraints that are very real that cannot be removed. Um, but once they're educated on that, they understand then and they get so creative about how to solve for these problems. And I love that. There are also times when they tell us about barriers or constraints that shouldn't exist, right? They are just bureaucracy in its worst form. And then we can collectively work together to remove those barriers. Um, I'm very proud that the work in civic innovation for the past 12 years in mobile has done both of those things. Removed silly barriers that were just bureaucracy for bureaucracy's sake and not actually achieving the goals we wanted, um, but also like, educating the public, making them aware of real barriers and why they're valuable and why they exist, but then creatively solving within those boundary constraints. When you look at civic innovation at this moment in 2023, um, you know, let's start with Louisville, right? Uh, what does civic innovation look like in Louisville in 2023 amid this transition, amid these changes? Uh, and then let's go out and go a little bigger uh, in what you think that the movement overall looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think that in, in Louisville, certainly, um, and winning this award really means a lot, being um, City Executive of the Year by State Scoop uh, for their Local Smart Awards, because it's it's a recognition of not just the work that I've done, but the work of so many employees within Louisville Metro Government, embracing a culture of uh, using data to identify when the status quo needs to change, right? And so um, I do think that uh, if you had asked me even just two and a half years ago, have we institutionalized some of this culture? I wasn't quite sure. Um, at this point, um, I look across the organization and I see so many instances of city employees having the tools and skills to use data, again, to, to do something new. And new in a, in a way that um, challenges the status quo for the public good, 
right? So not just doing something new for new sake, but again, recognizing that there's a way for us to improve or to, um, or to restructure systems so they better align with the, the values and benefits that we are actually trying to achieve for the public. So that that's um, really encouraging locally, right? That, oh yes, we've, we have changed the culture and it is at this point an established part of our identity for how we problem solve. At the larger picture, I am so encouraged that at this point, hundreds of cities, not just in the US, but in fact globally have embraced civic innovation. And so you have chiefs of civic innovation or chief innovation officers throughout the world. Um, we have a far more robust network and, uh, and know how to call on each other, um, both through formal structured programs, but also informally uh, to support each other. And um, what a wonderful time for our cities, especially when we're looking nationally at, again, these historic amounts of money. Uh, I haven't even touched on this one, this new source of money that I'm keeping an eye on. So the CHIPS Act, which was passed uh, last fall, had within it a $2 billion authorization, so there wasn't any funding yet, for what they're calling regional tech and innovation hubs. And this idea that, again, innovation should not be concentrated in the coasts, their talent is actually evenly distributed throughout our country, and usually opportunity is not. The goal of these regional tech hubs is to, in fact, realize that for regions that are frequently left behind. Um, and, and so uh, we were really encouraged to see that 500 million was appropriated and uh, funding received through um, the fiscal year 23 omnibus rule. So there is the first tranche of money that's available. Um, I know that you know our city in Louisville, we're watching this very closely um, to see when the NOFOs drop and, and be ready to respond. But again, this will benefit so many communities that historically have been left behind. I mean, I think uh, just one other thing that cities I'm sure are paying attention to, and I haven't spoken about it in this conversation, I don't think, is that um, cities are really benefiting from programs like the Affordable Connectivity Program, right? So again, uh, back to the idea of but-for funding, we've known for a long time that, that tens of thousands of households in our community were left behind and didn't have access to broadband, not because they didn't want it, but because they couldn't afford it. Um, having access to these historic funds at this point, I think the last time we checked the data was at the end of December in 2022, 51,000 households have enrolled. That's 51,000 who probably were not connected um, prior to that program. And I am looking forward to seeing how, uh, what an impact that will be for those families. Grace Emerald, Chief of Civic Innovation for Louisville, Kentucky. You can read more about her and civic innovation at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. Next week on the show, San Jose Deputy City Manager Rob Lloyd joins to talk about his latest projects and priorities. You can subscribe to the show at PrioritiesPodcast.com. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.